Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show. I'm your host, Brian Nichols, and today we have a special uh, show because I am joined by, uh, many of you probably know him here on this network, it is the current uh, candidate for the U.S. Senate out in Missouri. He is running for the Republican nomination. Uh, You know him from being the former Libertarian uh, presidential candidate in, uh, and also uh, founder of the Libertarian Republic, uh, Austin Peterson. Austin, thank you so much for joining today. How are you doing today? Great. Thanks for having me on. Awesome, man. Hey, as you know, all know, you can find Austin at Twitter, uh, at AP for Liberty, as well as on Facebook at AP for Liberty. And also feel free to go ahead, if you're interested in his campaign, find him on uh, www.austinpeterson.com. And Austin, your name has been in the news uh, as of late. Uh, for for I guess it, it's a little disheartening for you as a guy running for uh, for U.S. Senate. Uh, it turns out that you have been suspended uh, by the uh, the great old Mark Zuckerberg there on Facebook for for an AR-15 giveaway that you did in the past um, that you also were suspended for but got revoked. Um, so Austin, maybe you can just fill us in a little bit. What's what's been going on there with this uh, this Facebook ban as of late? Well, you know, in order to avoid the ban this time, like we did last time, instead of holding up the gun in the video, I decided that I would draw a picture of an AR-15. Uh, and uh, for some reason, that was still too dangerous for Facebook. So uh, <laughs> I, I got another 30-day ban for uh, doing what uh, any good conservative would do, which is to give away an AR-15 rifle to uh, my supporters to raise money and awareness of my belief in the Second Amendment. And uh, yeah, so here we are, 30-day ban, uh, day two, and uh, still no end in sight. So um, uh, the, the, really the thing that sort of you know, made this last time a big national story was the fact that Facebook's chief operating officer, Sheryl Sandberg, has contributed the maximum amount to Claire McCaskill in this election, which is where we get sort of the interest in this. You know, people want to know, well, hey, are, are, are they interfering in this election? Because we hear a lot from Facebook about Russian election interference, and yet here we are seeing them interfering in a, an election here in Missouri. So we just want to kind of, we want to know what's up. Absolutely. I mean, it, it seems obviously a little suspicious when uh, I know uh, I watched some of your supporters there who who were you know rightfully pointing out that there's a lot of other uh, gun giveaways that are on Facebook and and suspiciously none of those are being flagged uh, for for being a violation of terms of service. What do you think about that? Well, you know, there's a lot of conservatives who have complained about uh, censorship on Twitter and on Facebook, and so I, you know, I, I think that many of these social media platforms have a far left bias. Very difficult to prove, but I mean, I don't hear a lot of leftists complaining about getting banned so i have to wonder if it isn't just us i mean i'm not sure exactly what's going on i'm not i'm not much of a conspiracy theorist but you know when you start to see enough uh you know dots on a line you wonder if there isn't a pattern you know oh absolutely and uh, that actually that, that that leads to a, a good question because obviously here we are um you know we, we are almost a month now removed from the parkland florida shooting um i know you went up to my my uh, old stopping grounds up in uh, the north country there in new york and you were greeted by the wonderful uh, liberal students of St. university with a, a sign that said mr peterson do you care more about ar-15s and children's lives uh but hey kudos to them for spelling your name right um, yeah. but uh it actually it led it did lead to a couple of questions and obviously i've been getting questions here from a lot of uh supporters but also uh curious individuals with regards to your campaign and and one of the questions i got was from derek and it was uh his question was in light of the recent school shootings um the main question that he had was and let me pull it up here uh 
everywhere there's been an improved call for mental health screenings, healthcare options. So with that being said, what specific types of improvement in the mental health field would you push for in Senate? And with that being said, what concrete ways could we help find and care for those that may eventually pose a risk to themselves or others? Well, you know, obviously, um, you know, mental health is, is probably at fault for many of these killings. But but the problem with that is, is that it opens up a big can of worms because, you know, if you if you're looking strictly at mental health, you know, perhaps half of this country could be assumed to have some sort of mental health issue. I mean, what what qualifies perhaps as being as having mental issues do ADHD, you know, autism, right? Um, you know, what? Mm -hmm. What exactly would would, contri would contribute be a contributing factor to determine whether or not someone might not might might or might not have the right to bear arms? And you know, consider we have to have due process, right, before we could step in and say, hey, before we could take somebody's guns away, you know, there has to be at least some some level uh, some semblance of due process. A lot of veterans who return with PTSD are worried about some of the pushes on mental the mental health question because they're worried that if they have PTSD because they've been fighting for our freedoms overseas. Are they going to lose their freedoms if they come back um, and uh, and are diagnosed with PTSD? Right. So those are all real big questions that we have to answer. And what exactly the role of the federal government is, quite frankly, I don't know at this point. Uh, but here, here's the thing. I mean, if you if you're looking at it as a societal uh, issue, if you look at some of the contributing factors, you know, many of these school shooters, they don't have good fathers. Right. I think like out of all of this, the, mm -hmm. the shooters recently that it's come, that's come out, many of them um, just did not have good fathers. But why exactly? Uh, why exactly is that the case? Well, I don't know. And what is the role of the federal uh, the federal Senate have to be able to solve that problem? Well, I don't know. That's the problem. People want answers from their government. They want the government to do something. But quite frankly, what government does is usually worse than the problem itself. So we do need to study this issue and we do need to consider that there are some constitutional barriers for us in order to take certain types of action before we can move forward. Agreed. Again, Brian Nichols here with Austin Peterson, a U.S. Senate candidate for the, uh, the great state of Missouri. Next question I had, Austin. Now, obviously, you got a lot of your uh, name recognition as as being a member of the Libertarian Party, um, but also with your run there back in 2016 for the, uh, the Libertarian nomination for president. Um, now, I did have one question that was raised up here. This is from Stone, uh, and it is a two-part uh, two question. The first saying, uh, Austin, uh, do you see the Republican Party as a means to an end or just an end? By that, meaning specifically, can we achieve liberty, including minarchy, using the Republican Party, or is it just a tool to bring the country closer to libertarianism so that the LP is more influential when, it, and when we hit conservatives and Tea Partiers' stopping point? Parties are just tools. Uh, parties are, are ways for you to advance an idea. Um, the the thing is, is that with, with political parties, like they're, they're a bit of a double-edged sword, right? They can be used for good or they can be used for bad. So I would say that uh, that parties themselves are not ends, um, unless you're just like somebody trying to be a party apparatchik and be a, a, a ladder-climbing career politician and hmm. use a party for your own ends. I would say, <laughs> um, you know, it's just a way for you to advance your principles. And every party has its problems. So, I, you know, I think that uh, you know, the Republican Party has its problems. So do the Democrats and, and the Libertarian Party does as well. So if you're advancing, if you're advancing a cause, if you're advancing an idea, then I think that, um, you know, you're doing the right thing for a party. If you're just trying to advance a singular political party, then I, I question what your true motives are. 
It's actually right in the line. I actually had one of your uh, your first endorsement uh, gentlemen there, Dean Clancy. He was on my show back uh, a few weeks ago and very similar mindset with regards to, uh, as you just pointed out, parties are the vessels to bring the, the principles into Washington. So, you know, kudos to you for, for I guess, I want to say jumping ship, but keeping your principles and going to the GOP to help, you know, follow the likes of Justin Amash and Thomas Massey and Rand Paul. So kudos to you there. Um, now, Stone had another follow-up question for this. Um, and it, it does focus more specifically on the GOP as a whole. Um, saying, Austin, also, do you believe that the GOP is moving towards either A, a conservative libertarian movement like Rand Paul, Ben Shapiro, Glenn Beck, B, a more alt-right populist movement with the likes of Bannon, Trump, uh, Spencer, and Milo, or C, will continue to be filled with quote-unquote establishment do-nothings like Romney, Ryan, and McConnell? Great question, but I, but I, I'm not sure that the question is 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 phrased in a way that I could answer it uh, in 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 total. Um, I think that right where we are right now is with Trump populism, but I would say that you know it's possible that the future could be a more Ben Shapiro, you know Rand Paul, Glenn Beck, Austin Peterson style movement uh, as long as we can get some victories. It's one of the key reasons why I'm running is so that we can actually push towards that more conservative libertarian alliance that I've been talking about. But of course, the problem there are some problems because. It, in order for that to happen, you know, we sort of have to lay lay down our arms. You know, we've been taking up arms against one another. Conservatives are going to have to accept the libertarian position on government, and libertarians are going are going to need to accept the conservative view of institutions, families, friends, neighbors, and churches, in order for us to solve the problems of society without the um, with w without the government. So I, I, it really just depends on whether or not we can sort of you know put our egos to the side and actually work towards the betterment of our country. So would it be fair to say that I don't want to be like the Jordan Peterson interview where I say, so what you're saying is, um, but it would it be fair to say that you're basically saying, looking at the way things are now, that a pragmatic approach to small L libertarianism, using the likes of a Rand Paul or Justin Mash, Thomas Massey, Mike Lee, that's going to be the more practical approach going forward? Yes, I believe so. But again, it's going to require some sacrifice on both sides for us to sort of, um, you know, stop being at each other's throats. And, you know, I mean, I, I don't agree with Ben Shapiro on certain things. Right. But I but the fact that Ben Shapiro doesn't want to use the government to force me to agree with his views on certain social issues is isn't going to stop me from making an alliance with somebody like Ben Shapiro because he believes in my view of government. As long as you don't want to use the government to force me to believe what it is that you want to believe, uh, what, what it is that you believe, then that's fine. I get to live the life that I want to live free of interference and free from coercion and force. So that, but that's a challenge because we as libertarians, we're a much smaller group. I mean, we have some authority, we have some force. I mean, we've been able, the libertarian movement has been able to make me a, a force in Missouri, but not on its own. Con a lot of conservatives are supporting, a lot of evangelical Christians are supporting my campaign. And without them, I couldn't have come as far as I am. So we've, we've got to be able to, to reach across the aisle and start finding common ground and working towards the goals that we really want to see happen. I, I swear you have my questions laid out in front of you, even though I know you don't, uh, because that was a perfect segue into the next question I had. Uh, this mm -hmm. comes from Maggie. She's from Tennessee. And she says, uh, Austin, I am a, I'm in suburban Tennessee, so finding someone vocal in politics who is also not an active member of a faith community is quite rare. Even rarer is someone who is not a part of a church and is also pro-life. I definitely do not think that a person has to be religious to be pro-life, but I would love to hear how you, Austin, arrive at your beliefs about abortion and how, if you plan to act on them in Senate. 
Really good question. I mean, the question is, is, is it a human life? And uh, if I want to be consistent, do all humans deserve the same right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? I think the answer to the first question is yes. And the answer to the sec second question is decidedly yes. Um, so how we determine exactly how it is a human is a question for science. Uh, so sometimes when I'm out on the campaign trail, I'll ask people, if scientists were to find a cluster of cells on Mars, what would they call it? Well, they almost everyone answers life. So then why doesn't that logic apply to the unborn in the womb? I think it does. Um, and the problem, of course, is that the most politically incorrect thing that you can tell anyone is that they need to be personally responsible, right? Because that's the problem is that we're using abortion as a form of birth control, not to, you know, I think the the the, inst the amount of instances that it's used uh, in, in order to save the life of the mother or for something like something related to that or for, for you know, exceptions in case of rape is, are, are minuscule compared to people who see it as, a, as something for convenience or as, as a form of birth control. Um, but, but you know, the, when it comes to my, my power in the Senate, you know, what, what are the, some of the things that I think we can do? Well, you know, uh, one of the things that we can do that requires the least amount of coercion uh, is you could legalize birth control over the counter. That's been statistically proven to reduce the number of abortions in a, in a society or in a nation or in a culture, right? But that's that in itself is a challenge because a lot of my conservative friends say, oh, no, 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 we don't want that even though they state that you know many of them are single issue voters on the question of abortion i want fewer abortions right if this is going to reduce the number of abortions then i'm definitely for it because i want to save lives but we i'm pro life in in part because too i think that it, it's that the left has dehumanized the unborn in in a way their Agreed. their arguments are always rely on eugenics right and they, they 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 claim that one life is more valuable than another and i i think that that's that's wrong that that's inhuman that that dehumanizes people and that if we want to have be a civilization that dehumanizes the unborn why not go full-blown eugenics right well well let's just say you know i mean here's the thing many on the alt-right you asked you talked about the alt-right earlier like richard spencer's uh, richard spencer's of the world um they're not pro-life right they're not pro-life you know why because they want to see that they're pro-life for white babies but not for not for minorities right they don't care if people of other races or cultures you know kill you know slaughter their children on mass and isn't that a horrible destructive, evil, totalitarian ideologies, and that's something we as conservatives or libertarians want to resist? Absolutely. Um, we, we should humanize the unborn. We should encourage people to be personally responsible. We should look for every solution that we can to save life. And I think that science is, is pushing further and forth, further towards more solutions that are less coercive, but we as a society do need to pressure one another socially out there and 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 help convince as a culture because I think we've lost the argument um, and we need to put we need to to win the cultural debate about whether or not the unborn is a human I think it is uh, and I think we need to defend that at all costs amen I, I, can't, I can't agree more um now this this kind of goes back to the the point you were making earlier uh, you you're speaking with regards to Ben Shapiro and how uh, yes, you, you will agree with Ben, let's say, 90% of the time. I'm just using that as an arbitrary number. Uh, and then there's the other you know, 10% of the time we'll say that you, you have a, a fundamental uh, dif disagreement on policy. Um, so we had uh, William here. here he uh, just pointed out in, in a question saying that he's curious with regards to your opinion um, on foreign policy as that seems to be the area where the likes of a, a Austin Peterson would have a disagreement with the likes of a Ben Shapiro. So could you kind of dig in Austin in terms of, you know, if you were elected to, to Senate, um, 
what will your, your approach to foreign policy, policy be, number one, uh, looking at the likes of Syria, but also with regards to looking at um, our future slash current relationship with the UN? Right. Well, I, I'm not a big fan of the United Nations. I don't think it serves our interests. I think we should uh, conduct diplomacy in a more unilateral fashion. I prefer that the United States pull out of the UN entirely. Um, that being said, when it comes to our foreign policy, I think that there's a difference between national defense and militarism. You know, I don't think we ought to be skimping on national defense. I think we need a strong national defense. But where we ought to be pulling back is on militarism, right? Policing the world. Uh, why is it that American soldiers are still policing streets in Kabul, in Iraq, in Afghanistan? I, I think that we've, we've far exceeded the proper authority that should be granted to the executive in these matters. I think Congress needs to take a more active role. I think that Congress needs to assert its proper authority authority and war making powers. You know, I, I mean, nobody now looks back and says, oh, Libya was a good idea. And now we're saying the same thing about Iraq. Obviously, we were attacked from Afghanistan, so there had to be something done there. But I think the problem is, of course, is, as, gov as, as government grants more and more war powers to the executive, the tendency is for the government to grow. And we do have, uh, like what Dwight Eisenhower said, there is a tendency of the military industrial complex complex to affect our democratic processes, uh, right? There's a, there's a, um, there's in every single congressional district in the United States, there's a, a piece being manufactured for, for a jet plane or a tank or some, some sort of military equipment that, that impacts our elections, right? For, to bring jobs to districts. So that's the problem. But, um, you know, Ludwig von Mises and others were, were very clear about war and, um, the Keynesian fallacy, the broken window fallacy, the wartime prosperity, uh, you know, brings about an general wealth and uh, because if that were true like, like i think ludwig von mises um, famously said that war brings um uh brings about uh, prosperity like a plague right or like a hurricane or a tornado or a disaster right it's uh it's a broken window fallacy if if we really wanted to stimulate our economy because war was good right a wartime production was good why don't United States and Japan just go back to war. We we send all of our fleets and carriers out in the middle of ocean to, to fight each other and sink them to the bottom and we'll have increased our wealth, right? That's not how it works. Um, so frankly, I think that we've overextended ourselves militarily and I think we need to have more prudent foreign policy. All right, can't complain there. Um, now this next question, it's, it's a long one. So I'm going to break it down into three parts and it all does focus uh, primarily on immigration. So uh, this comes from Nick. He goes... Uh, Austin, my primary contention with your views is your position on illegal aliens. I understand and agree, in principle, with your positions, but Milton Freeman certainly had the most practical view on illegal aliens. With this in mind, I wonder, and here's the first part of the question. Number one, how do you, Austin Peterson, propose to maintain the integrity of our elections if non-citizens are allowed to come and go freely without regulation? Well, I don't think that non-citizens should be allowed to vote. I, I actually depart with some of uh, the libertarians on things like voter ID laws. You know, uh, to me, you uh, a vote is a vote to use force against me, right? You're trying you're using asking the government to use force to enforce the law on your behalf. Sometimes I like to joke that every law should end with a sentence dot 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 or we will kill you. <laughs> because ultimately, that's what uh, every law does. But the problem with immigration to me is that we have a broken system. I want more legal immigration, less illegal immigration. But it, economics is about incentives. If you incentivize people to break the law like we do with our current system, you're going to have more illegal immigration. If you incentivize people to, do, to obey the law, then you're going to have more legal immigration. Now, the problem, I think, is that the debate has is, is, been hijacked by the two extremes. You've got one group of people 
people who says, you know, no, no, you know, no borders whatsoever, open borders, right? And the nation state. And then you've got people on the other end. I was at a Trump rally the other day. Somebody shouted behind me, no immigrants, no immigration. And I just wanted to turn around and say, no immigration, like as in zero, like none at all. I mean, how are you going to, how are you going to pull something like that off, right? Without becoming a totalitarian state. Uh, right. So we have to have policies that benefit Americans. Yes, absolutely. I believe in America first. But frankly, I think the problem is, is that because of the way that we've structured our immigration law right now, if it takes 10 to 25 years to become an American citizen, people are going to break the law. So let's have a simple, strict security checked, simple, strict disease check, pass a citizenship test, pledge allegiance to the United States, and then you're done. All right. Good answer. I uh because that actually kind of leads right into the second question from uh, from Nick here. So his, his next question was, uh, Austin, how do you reconcile your, your pro-Second Amendment position, particularly with regard to protecting your own property, and with a lack of protection on our borders? So I guess more, more specifically, how can you say that you are a firm believer in having the Second Amendment to protect your personal property, but then not having the ability to protect your national property being borders. That well, the, I mean, it does, but it's it's a fallacious claim because public is public and private is private. You don't own the borders, right? It doesn't belong to you, right? This is this is a question of public property versus private property. And and if you take a look, unfortunately, there's something within like a hundred mile radius from the borders. It's a constitution free zone where police can set up checkpoints and stop citizens and search their cars, and you lose due process and your Fourth Amendment rights. So so don't tell me that that's your private property. Otherwise, I have reason to come in and blast you in the head for for taking away my fourth amendment rights right i could like i could step onto your property and say hey well you know in this constitution free zone that you've set up it's your private property you're taking away my fourth amendment rights well i'm rev uh, i'm having a revolution against you right now i'm gonna grab my flintlock and start killing some redcoats um so the the problem of course again lies in i think a pro uh, the base of economic illiteracy that is going around out there right now people don't understand economics they don't understand how incentives works they they see only what is seen they they, they never see what is unseen uh and unless people start reading a little bit more uh, a little bit more uh friedrich hayek milton friedman and ludwig von mises we're never going to be able to come to an understanding on this because at the end of the day once you once you debunk all of the economic fallacies that are being presented in this and once you debunk all of the the legal fallacies and the differences between private property and public property then at the end of the day you know they'll they'll just back up to say well it's my culture my culture well you know i just went through a pretty strict severe canadian border checkpoint right and these people are supposed to be the most tolerant <laughs> people on earth right and they were telling me is there anyone else who can do your job here in canada and i'm like well no court no is there anybody else who can do your job in canada you know my culture is my culture your culture is your culture we have different cultures in the united states and that's respected uh through the freedom of speech and um you know quite frankly i prefer taco trucks to gravy fries so if you're gonna now if you're going to have a border wall, put it on the northern border because uh, at least south, south of the border uh, we get uh, tasty tacos. Uh, but uh, I, I don't like the poutine. So you want to force your your views on me? So then fine, I'll turn around and force my views on you. You're going to eat gravy fries then, you know. <laughs> so it's uh, so that's the problem is that event once the economic fallacies are debunked, you see that it just lies in a simple um, a simple disagreement over cultural issues, which really the government has no uh, role in protecting. See, you didn't get the right. You didn't get the right poutine. That's the problem. You, oh, you, you got to go to Sergi's in Canton, New York. They have the best poutine you can possibly have. That, that's the problem. You, just, you didn't get that. 
Yeah, see, there you go. That's the issue. <laughs> All right, awesome. And then, so Nick, he, he was really into this immigration uh, discussion. So he did have one final follow-up question. And I think it comes from more of a personal um, a personal position he has. And I'll cover that at the end of this question. So he goes, finally, uh, as, as you're being a very principled person, as he is himself, at what point do you, Austin, bend to... A little, bend a little to accommodate reality. That being the concerning reality, being that people are coming here to enjoy our generous benefits and not assimilate, creating a highly dependent, further in debt, and balkanized USA. The reason he brings this up is that he said, as a first-generation German and Filipino immigrant, both sides of his family aggressively assimilated and embraced American values, and he has concerns about people bringing inferior cultures to the United States. Well, define inferior culture. I mean, it's such I think, a, it's I such think a... he's more specifically <laughs> referring to like uh, you know Sharia law, um, you know yeah, the the, yeah. the Islamic fundamentalism and the like. Right, right, right. It, yeah, if you want to live and and operate in the United States, then you operate under the constitutional law system, right? You you respect the the Bill of Rights, and if you want to be an American citizen, then you pledge allegiance to the United States and and our culture and our and our laws. Uh, but uh, but frankly, you know we have a you know when you talk about balkanization, you know we have multiple different religions here in the United States. Many of them are very secretive. Many of them operate privately. You know you have Mormons in Utah who want to you know they have their own private culture. You've got Jews in Brooklyn, very orthodox uh, uh, Jews in Brooklyn, and they have their own form of system of law and arbitration that they have, right? And then Muslims want to practice their own system of arbitration in certain ways, right? It's just because you don't care for their culture. Listen, I, I I'm not a part of any of those cultures, right? But I respect all of their religious freedom. So yeah, that's what we have in the United States. If you're not willing to respect religious freedom in the United States, then yes, don't come here, right? If you're not willing to respect our system of laws, then yes, don't come here. But you know, you're even allowed in the United States the freedom of speech to say that you don't respect our laws or our culture, and you're even allowed to use the democratic process to try to change those laws through the constitutional process. Listen, I'm, I'm I, here's the thing. You know, fear mongering is powerful. Fear-mongering works. If the politicians have been telling us terrifying lies for years, right? You're frankly, this guy is much more is, is much more under a threat of dying by drowning in his bathtub than he is from dying from a threat of Islamic terrorism, right? But unfortunately, humans are very bad at ju- at judging relative threats to their health, wellness, and safety, right? And he's probably I bet the guy himself probably eats a lot of McDonald's cheeseburgers and a lot of chicken nuggets and drinks a lot of Coca-Cola, which is a far greater greater uh, danger to him than Sharia law in the United States. But, you know, again, if I just was wanted to be a typical politician, I would find a boogeyman. I would uh, demonize them, marginalize them, tell them uh, that he that he you're better than these people. They're 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 rapists. They're coming. They're taking your jobs. And that would make me a much more popular politician because everybody loves being told that they're better than somebody else. You know, there was a famous I – th- I don't know if it was the Milgram experiment or – I can't remember which one it was in the 1960s where a school teacher sat down for a day and she tested her students on – her students. she said, OK, people with blue eyes, they're, be- they're beautiful. People with blue eyes are wonderful and lovely and they're so much better than students with brown eyes, right? And then, and then they found that the blue-eyed students started treating the brown-eyed students like crap. Then the next day, she turned it around and said that the brown-eyed students, they're much better. They're they are much smarter. They're much more beautiful. And then all of a sudden, the social dynamics changed, right? And that, that's, that plays out in society writ large. But, you know, don't use science, facts, evidence, reason, and logic on people who have renounced it because to them, that's only going to piss them off, right? If you're going to tell people the truth, you have to make them laugh or else they'll kill you. 
Um, and that's the problem is that we, we love big, we love liars. We love politicians who lie to us. We love people like Bernie Sanders who tell us they can give us things for free. We love the politicians who demonize, uh, marginalize and, and, and oppress groups and say that you're better than these people. Our culture is inferior. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and that's the thing. And, and we kill people like ourselves, Brian, people like yourself, people like myself. We, we destroy those people because they tell us the, we say the uncomfortable truths that nobody wants to hear. And that's why our, that's why our country going to crap. So technically, the culture of the person who asked that question is really what's destroying this country. And, and if anything, we should see if we can't, um, you know, uh, drop some deportation papers for him, because I certainly don't want to make sure that I don't want him getting any welfare. That's for sure. We should deny his social security benefits, see what we can do to kick him out of the country, because I don't like his culture. I think it's inferior to be to be quite honest. <laughs> All right. So to, to, to wrap up, Austin, I, I did want to just kind of um, go back to the entire premise of my my podcast here and that is to educate enlighten and inform so the this this show we have people from all different persuasions on whether they be you know far left communists all the way to the most uh, rabid anarchists and and the goal is really to bring these different uh different philosophies different ways of looking at our world um together to at the very least understand one another so instead of you know sitting in our, our echo chambers and screaming at one another we actually can have a dialogue and and even if we we decide hey we don't agree with each other we at least know where the other side is coming so with that being said uh as you a, a libertarian small l libertarian republican candidate running for u.s senate in missouri if you could take a a person who is a democrat a moderate an independent um who is is i guess foreign to libertarianism um or or you know the the form of republicanism that you're bringing forward how would you best um i guess summarize your views and hopefully get them to vote for you uh in november this year well, you're asking a strategic question, right? A tactical question. And so I would just say that the answer to that is that you want to be a good listener first. Right? Once you can determine what it is the issues are of concern to an individual person, that you're trying to do outreach to, then you know what it is that they believe. Then you can find out, you, you know, what the best way to approach them is. You know, and quite frequently, you know, as a as a as a politician, someone who's campaigning for votes, um, what I'll do is I'll just ask people a series of questions and then listen to their concerns, and then I won't even have to say a single word about what it is I believe, and they'll say, you know what, you earn my vote just because you're being a good listener. So it's not so 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 in terms of strategy and tactics, it's not so much about how to take your beliefs and force them on people or how to how to convince people of your beliefs. Many times it's being a good uh, politician is really just about being a good listener and about engaging with your constituents it's it's a social skill right it's not an intellectual skill it's it's not about who has the best ideas if if the person with the best ideas will always won the election then ron paul would have won the presidency right uh but that's just not what we see you've got to be you've got to be very social you got to be affable you got to be a good listener that's really what it is be a good listener first Determine what the problem is that the person says that they identify and then see if you have some solutions or some something kind to, to offer in order to, um, to to solve the problem that they've identified in society. All right, man. Well, hey, I, I appreciate the uh, the candor. And, and honestly, I think this has been really a, a great opportunity for people to, to learn more, not only about your campaign, um, but also to learn more about not only you, but the uh, the values that you represent and and hopefully give a better insight into the uh, the small L libertarianism that we're trying to uh, to promote here. Um, so as always, I mean, you can follow Austin on Twitter and on Facebook at AP for Liberty and on uh, on your website, AustinPeterson.com. Austin, anything you wanted to, to plug here before uh, 
before we send you on your merry way to your next set of interviews? You got it all. Thanks so much, Brian. Have a great night. You as well, man. Have a good one. Mm, bye. All right, ladies and gentlemen. So that was uh, Austin Peterson there. He's a, uh, as I said, candidate for United States Senate um, over in the great state of Missouri, running as a Republican against uh, the current Attorney General and Josh Hawley uh, to take on the incumbent uh, U.S. Senator Claire McCaskill, uh, who has been the uh, Democratic Senator now for six six years, I believe, it was six years. Yeah, six years. Um, Six years too long. So, uh, with that being said, what are your thoughts on on Austin's interview? Um, you know, please feel free to uh, to go ahead and uh, you know tweet, Facebook, YouTube comments, what have you. Um, you know, feel free to go ahead and, and like, review, and share on iTunes. Um, let us know your thoughts, and, and as always, please share this episode with your friends and family um, to hopefully give them a perspective into uh, not only libertarianism but also in terms of uh, the values that we're looking for here in uh, in 2018. To bring them to the White House. That's that's always the goal, you know. And I again I look at Austin as a candidate. This is my soapbox now. Austin, I think, is, is one of those candidates who we desperately need right now, uh, as as libertarians, just because uh you know, I, I'm not I'm not gonna get into the, the Austin leaving the Libertarian Party and, and joining the Republican Party uh discussion because I don't think that's productive. Um looking at what we have as fundamental libertarian ideals. Uh, going forward, I, I think Austin is a great advocate. There's a reason um, that he was able to get on the shows like Glenn Beck uh, back in the 2016 campaign, as well as uh, you know most recently with his, his current Senate campaign, and to use that platform to promote true libertarian ideals, um, the likes that we really haven't seen in, in many candidates, uh, be they, I mean, I guess the only real candidates we can think of are, are the Ron Pauls, the Rand Pauls, Justin Amash, and Thomas Massey. Um, so, you know, at the end of the day, we, we need more liberty-loving fighters there in, in Washington. Um, and, you know, if we can take someone like Claire McCaskill and replace her with a guy like Austin, I truly think we're, we're in a much better situation than we are now. Um, but as always, ladies and gentlemen, this is The Brian Nichols Show. Uh, thank you so much for joining. Um, hopefully, you, you found today's show to be uh, educational. Um, or, as we always like to say, uh, educate, enlighten, and inform. Uh, so hopefully all three of those buckets were filled today. Um, but again, you can follow me. On, you can follow me on Twitter um, at B Nichols Liberty, as well as on Facebook at B Nichols Liberty. Uh, or if you're interested, please feel free to go ahead and subscribe to our Patreon. Uh, every little bit helps, folks. So we, every time we get a Patreon donor, uh, it's easier for us to continue producing this type of content. Um, and really, the, the goal is to help sh- uh, share this message of liberty across. Um, across the uh, the networks to, to people from all political spectrums um, really to help them learn what it is that we're trying to promote here uh, being the message of liberty um, and again if you could please take a moment write us on iTunes uh, I think I'm going to start doing all five star reviews you're going to get a read here on the uh, on the air so uh, until next uh, next week folks it's Brian Nichols here on the Brian Nichols show part of the We Are Libertarians network Thank you so much. Thanks to Austin Peterson for joining me today. He's he's a pretty busy guy. Um, so thank you to Austin for taking a few, uh, few minutes out of his uh, busy day to come on. Uh, but again, until next week, it's Brian Nichols. We'll talk to you then.